Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster, the managing partner of Invader Comics and the writer of both Kadoja and Three Protectors. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders of Milsanda for the Accidental Aliens. Yeah, but the but the big question is, what are you drinking? What are you so, about to drink? Today, it is another Harland exclusive. The Pacific To Be Specific is what it's called. It's a sour double India pale ale. Uh, and it is 8.5%. So, pretty excited about that. I'm going to take oh, the edge I off today. You know what? I saw that when I went beer shopping and did not get it. What kind of beer is it again? An IPA? A sour double IPA. Oh, that was why. Yeah. It had it had the magic hate word in it. It had sour. Oh, and it's sour. Mm. Oh, wow. It's very sour. Amazing. Wow. Amazing. You're really selling it. You're really selling it. <laughs> With my face? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. Remember that old, there was that old commercial about bitter, bitter beer face? You remember that? People would make it, bitter beer face and then they hired that one guy who'd always just quick step in in like a wig and stuff and go like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah good, good times. All right, it's a so, Brewistroff. Yes, so I I am drinking a beer that is a gift from Martin Vavra, the person who was down to film uh, some videos, the Kickstarter videos that will make their way to Three Protectors one of these days. Not too far away now, actually, because we're going to launch that Kickstarter in March. And he had talked this up to me, and it is it is one of those beers that's made maybe like once once a year or something like that. And so he knows it. And uh, and grabs a bunch, and he gave me a few, and it is it is a double stack by Great Notion, and it's got a Sasquatch eating some flapjacks, and this bad boy is an Imperial Stout with coffee and maple syrup, and its percentage is eleven. This this one goes to eleven. You want to hold that up real quick? I know you're probably wondering why why not just make ten louder. But the answer is that this goes to 11. <laughs> All right, cool. I think I got it. Dude, this is goddamn delicious. This is seriously delicious. Oh, it's the opposite of mine. <laughs> I I didn't think... Remember a couple of weeks ago when I mentioned that there seems to be this hot zone, this, this nice zone of stouts, especially flavored, you know, desserty stouts, whatever you want to say. Where you get to that eight nine percent magic number, and it's got that good hit, but it's really tasty. And then once you start to get above that, it starts to get that whole after after punch of of booze. This has none of that. This is this is just really really good. Uh, so yeah, man, it's gonna it's gonna be a good night, Scott. I uh, when, you, when you get into those high numbers, it gets a little too syrupy for me. Yeah, uh, it's just a little too thick. So, but There's we tried this... a couple the other week that were just perfect so yeah yeah dude i had a i had a 17 a couple weeks ago with martin that was that was quite good um but yeah you still get that booze thing where this i just don't have it you know there's a there's a book out there big big uh uh, excellent book to read if you are a hip-hop fan it's a book called rock him told me and what it is is a bunch of interviews with classic this this was done in like 2001 or something like that it was interviews with classic rap artists on every track of their albums. So it's Rock Him Told Me because Rock Him told the the author about every track on whatever it was, you know, paid in full or something like that. And so it takes, I don't know, maybe 10, 12, you know, well-known 
classic, some some in air quotes and some actually classic hip hop albums, breaks them down track by track and then tries to give them a little bit of an oral history where one member or multiple members will talk about the thought process that went into that track. I set all this up because one of the records is, as, I think it's as nasty as they want to be by the two live crew. And anyone who's listened to a two live crew album knows that it's super important to understand the creative process that goes into such, I mean, dare we say literature? Dare we say that as nasty <laughs> as they want to be, my two life crew is, is the closest <laughs> thing that hip hop has to literature. And, uh, you know, I think everybody wants to know what sort of inspiration really leads up to that. And it turns out that he said, I don't even remember coming up, up with that, but if you give me some liquor, I'll come up with all kinds of shit. <laughs> And so <laughs> that's 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 where we're rolling with this podcast. You give me some 11% and we're going to come up with all kinds of shit. So with that said, my man, what was the first thing that you did this week? Um, I, I think I want to get this out of the way real quick because I actually almost forgot last episode. So if you guys didn't stay all the way till the end, there was some housekeeping I did and uh, some emails that we got. So I want to get do the housekeeping a little early this week. So... Uh, my buddy Steve Whistler Jr., he listened again to our last episode, uh, well, two, two episodes ago, uh, our talk with Chris about public domain and such. Winnie the, Pooh with, uh, excuse me. Winnie the Pooh with the blue shirt is fair game. Woo! So you can Hello. absolutely just change the color of his shirt and it would be fine. So that is fucking nuts, incidentally. It, it, so crazy. Uh, Mr. Monster is not public domain. It is widely believed he was, but he is not. Uh, so the covers I was talking about, Simon Bisley working on him and stuff. So apparently he did do that. And the guy that was contracting him to do it thought Mr. Monster was domain, but he was not. Mm. And uh, let me grab that real quick. I feel bad for saying it and not crediting him. Cut this dead air. Dead air. Dead air. Dead air, dead air, dead air, dead air, dead air. Dead uh, so he, uh, Gilbert, something Gilbert. Okay, that wasn't worth the wait, was it? Um, <laughs> do we get sued? Can we get sued for using that, that Pink Panther motif? I hope not. <laughs> like that, the estate of Henry Mancini's listening to us. And they're like, you motherfuckers. <laughs> it, okay, so it was Michael T. Gilbert was the guy okay. that commissioned uh, uh, Bisley to do it. And so he was actually the guy that was doing all of the revived Mr. Monster stories, thinking that he he was a public domain character, but in fact he was not. Um, and, and he actually didn't get sued. They didn't sue him. They actually appreciated him bringing the character character to uh, you know prominence again. So so that was kind of cool. Um, last week I also or two weeks ago I said Doll Man was created by uh, uh, I believe Ditko. I think I said Ditko, and mm-hmm. it was actually created by Will Eisner. So okay, yeah. You know so that I, was my. Oh, go ahead. I, no, go ahead. That you said that was your thing, so I, I don't need to throw it back to you. I. I forgot to mention this it's just sparking now it turns out that i have a little bit of a public domain story through invader um, in our previous iteration 215 inc so hopefully people out there know that 215 inc did a book called gory books and uh it was meant to be a a riff on golden books those children's books with the nice gold you know spine binding that just had kind of like rhymey stuff 
and uh, and drawings, and you got through them pretty quick, obviously, because they were meant for very young kids. Well, Mike and Will came up with the idea of doing gory books and doing that, but for horror properties. And the first horror property they did was Night of the Living Dead, which mm. a lot of film junkies will know is public domain due to the fact that, if I remember right, back in the day, George Romero forgot to put copyright whatever on the title screen. Now, these oh. days, it wouldn't matter. These days, it doesn't matter. Like, that doesn't matter shit. In fact, you and I can think of an idea right now, and it's essentially copyrighted. You know, so so all those dumb ideas we've come up with on the podcast, you know, like whatever Big Bird going off with a chainsaw and stuff, sorry, they're ours. Well, the Big Bird <laughs> one might be a problem. But anyway, um, so yeah, <laughs> like, it's it's so swung the other way in terms of protecting creators' rights. But back then, George Romero, Romero, hey, the 11%'s kicking in, um, did, didn't put that copyright thing on the bottom, and therefore, that movie became public domain. Wow, that's so wild. What we found out when we made that book was that the movie is public domain, but the characters are not. So what? we ended up getting into like a little bit of negotiation with the people who um, who own the characters. So the movies was public domain, but the characters were actually the property of whatever because they were still copyrighted or the estate had gone out and went ahead and copyrighted it. So, mm. you know, it all ended well. We reached an agreement and all that stuff. But it was definitely a surprise when <laughs> we we uh, solicited the book through Diamond and got a cease and desist. <laughs> you know, we were oh, like, wow. Wait, what? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, always, always in it. But, but that that actually brings up a good postscript to the whole public domain thing, which is sometimes you just never know. You know what we were talking about with Winnie the Pooh, what what we were talking about with uh, Disney coming in and taking all of Chris's characters, even his and smashing his his horrible <laughs> hand coffee mug. Like, you know, that's not that far fetched, uh, not far removed from reality when you think about this stuff. So, yeah, you should be wary and you should be mindful. But there's a lot of stuff to play with. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and like Chris was saying, like if, if you are hesitant because it might be too close to this or that, then yeah, uh, err on the side of caution. But yeah. if you know the character was made in, let's say, 1944 or something, like um, you're pretty safe there. Because yeah. uh, I think it's uh, 75 years, anything after 75 years. Yeah, I don't know. It, I think it, it varies depending because I know that... I did a whole big thing on H.P. Lovecraft being in the public domain, and I don't think it all is. I think it's one of those oh, really? common... Yeah, it's one of those common things where people think that Lovecraft is in the public domain, but I'm not sure it is yet. Or maybe a couple stories are or something like that. Again, I, I didn't care that much. Um, but, you know, in terms of public domain... I think this is obvious, but, you know, you and I could start a publishing company tomorrow and, and print Bram Stoker's Dracula. We can right. do that right fucking now. It's public domain. We can print right. up all the works of Shakespeare if that's what we want to do. But the Lovecraft stuff, it's by the date that it was released, right? I think so. I think so. So again, it's it's right on that line. I know that the, there was a big deal that I think the Great Gatsby entered public domain. Maybe it was January of 2021 or something like that. Again, mm. COVID has just blurred all time together. So I can't remember whether it was January 2021 or 2022, honestly. But anyway. Um, so yeah, well, that, that's good. Yeah. I, and I like the idea of, uh, giving the feedback first in the episode instead of at the end. Yeah. So. It's nice. It's like, Hey, here's the things we fucked up on stat boy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so thank you, Steve, for, uh, uh, you know, those details much appreciated. I was, uh, shooting off the cuff there. I had some beer in me, so missed a, missed a couple of those details up there. Well, but you know, you, you as... put some beer in us and we come up with all ideas and all kinds of ideas and shit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
Um, so the big thing I did this week, uh, I would say I didn't do it, but I received it. My colorist sent me all of the remaining pages for Second Shift 12, and that includes the back cover, which was uh, going into our public domain conversation, The Black Terror, uh, with the Second Shift's guest starring uh, with The Black Terror there. So he finished that piece. He did the Daredevil one in like a retro coloring style, and it looks pretty cool. And this one, I didn't mention to him that the Black Terror was a public domain Golden Age character. So he just colored it like how he colors my books normally. And I think it looks even more badass like that. So mm -hmm. I kind, I almost wish he colored the Daredevil one in that same style because this one looks so good. I'm mm -hmm. like, yeah, this, this, this is just what I like. I like the way he colors my art. And yeah. so the retro style, as, as cool as it looks... I do prefer his normal style on top of my work, and uh, it's pretty badass. So that will be on the back cover to Second Shift 12. Uh, yeah, so all that stuff came in, I think, a day or two ago. And so I've been in the process of uh, changing out the art in the letters page or the lettered pages. Because I, what I do is I work ahead. So if, if my colorist isn't done and I'm done drawing... I'll move to the lettering stage, do all the basic lettering. So I'll just grab a page of the flats and put it in there as a placeholder. And then I do all the lettering on top of that. And then once I get the new art, the completed art, I just swap out the files and boom, it's done. So, Okay. Rock on, rock on. That was your, that was your first thing? Yeah. Okay, okay. So I think this is going to be, I, I hate, I hate when I have to do this. Because I do feel like it's a cheese out. But some weeks are just like this. And I can honestly say that, like, the big thing I did this week was not much of anything. Because it was all... You know, like, the biggest thing I did was edit two weeks of podcasts because of my own schedule. You know, my schedule has been a bit wonky lately due to, um, you know, some things including, um, you know, a, a personal a personal matter that uh, that took up some time. And when that happens, you know, all your other stuff falls behind. And um, and then you find yourself catching up on that. And there's sort of a ripple effect. So number one, not a whole lot of things presented themselves to me um, in terms of doing them. I did work on the novel. And, uh, you know, depending on what kind of thinking I do through your second thing, maybe I'll talk about the novel and maybe I won't. But the dominant thing I did this week was I did a lot of catch-up work and work-ahead work. And the reason I did that is because uh, tomorrow, Scott, I'm flying to Paris. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. So Eden is fencing in Paris. And this will be fun to listen to because we're recording this now. It is an incredibly quick turnaround. We will be back by, we will be back four days later, like 96 hours later for Paris, which is, you know, nine time zones away, my body's just going to be like, what the fuck are you doing to me right now? But uh, it'll be fun. I've never been. I'm very excited. I'm, we're not going to have that much free time because Eden will be fencing. But uh, by the time I'm back, it'll it'll be early next week. And, um, and then, you know, I'll edit this episode and then it'll air later. So, you know, this will be uh, all but a memory by the time that this episode actually airs. But right now, what I've been doing is doing all kinds of working ahead and really planning my time out to allow for that. You know, the, the last episode we did with Ed at your place, 
I would have waited to do that later than I did, but I had to get it done because I, I, it must, it must get edited or nothing goes up for next week, you know? So I had to work ahead and do that kind of stuff and, and take, take the podcast and multiply that by everything else. So the, the bad news is I just did a whole lot of stuff that's positioning myself so that I can actually get on a plane tomorrow and take this trip and not really have to worry about what kind of work I'm leaving behind and what kind of hole I've dug myself when I get back. That said, I expect next week's podcast to have all kinds of things that I can talk about because I'm going to be on two very long plane flights. I'm going to have a fair amount of time. You know, we've talked about planes before. If I'm lucky in the course of a normal day after I get through my my responsibilities, my family, um, writing in my novel, like I'm lucky if I have time on a, on a daily basis to get to the comics and things like that. So maybe you have one, two hours, two and a half hours every day to just do all your creative stuff in my case. And I've worked hard to get that one to two hours, even that. Um, you put you put me on a 10-hour plane, shit, man, I have a week's worth of time, you know, if I, if I can stay up the whole time because time zones are funky. But anyway, so I have, I do have a little bit of a laundry list of things that I plan to do. And, uh, but I'm not going to mention any of them now because I'd rather do them and then talk about them next week. So again, it's been a lot of positioning and sometimes you have to do that. Um, part of that positioning is the fact that I'm, I'm really trying to commit myself to be more, more everything on Instagram, be more active, follow more people, engage more and do all those things on Instagram. Because, you know, the thing about social media is. It's got that whole, you know, like seediness to it where you're like, ah, do I really need to do this? You know, blah, blah, blah. But a funny thing happened when I was messing around on social media today. I had a good time (laughs) because what I did was I went through all the people that follow me and I said, you know, I I don't know what they've done over the past couple of weeks. So I clicked on their stuff. I liked a few photos. If I needed to comment, I did. And what do you know? You're engaging with people you like now. Like it ended up being really fun. So um, I'll need to do more of that and get more on it. You know, first of all, the algorithm loves that crap. And, you know, we praise the gods of the algorithm on the Making Comics podcast, both for the podcast and for other things. But also it can just be fun to do. These are people you like. So there's nothing wrong with with getting out there and doing that. So again, for somebody like me who's social media averse, it's a big deal. Um, other people who are more natural with social media may be listening to this right now and think like, well, of course, dumbass, that's what you do. But there are other people who are listening right now going, oh, my God, you finally did it because that's exactly how I feel. You know, Chris Dreyer, I think, made some mention of that uh, last week or the week before talking about that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's it's a real thing to try to get yourself consciously doing social media because the amount of time you spend there is in a strange way probably equally important to the amount of time that you spend creating you know creating is so important and without creating there isn't any of this but it is also easy to kind of wall yourself into a little you know brick well of just creating and never sharing and never engaging and never doing any of that stuff and if you do that then you run the risk of no one no one really knowing about your stuff well, Zachary Blue Balls, that's a lot of lot of things you said there. Uh, <laughs> I'll say I'll tr- say that to a bunch of people in France. Sacre Blue Balls. <laughs> <laughs> that, that And they'll be like, you know Scott Lost? 
that turnaround sounds murderous. Like how how many hours is the flight there? No, first of all, no fucking 50-year-old should have to go through this, you know, but uh you mean okay, so what do you mean by how many hours is the turnaround? Like the time How many hours is how many hours is it to fly over there? It is it is uh let me think about this. We leave at 3 in the afternoon and we get in at 11 the next morning and it is a non-stop and it's 9 hours. So it's from 3 in the afternoon so to hours. 2 in the morning. No, it's 11. It is an 11-hour flight with a nine-hour time difference. Um, oh. So when, when we come back, we leave at 10 in the morning and get here at 1. <laughs> like, we basically don't miss anything, but we'll be, yeah, I'll be all kinds of funky. You know, like, I'm I'm even trying to make the next day as light as I possibly can because we're just going to all be fucked up. And it'll be fun, and it'll be a whirlwind, and my kid has a chance to, you know, do some fencing on an international stage. She did this two years ago, but without me. And, um, yeah. Let's fucking go, you know, so uh, so it'll be fun. And um, I am going to try. I don't know. I'm torn on this. When I was in Germany on business a couple of years ago, I, I, I ended up having seven because of a I had a weird flight thing happen where. So a goddamn Lufthansa pilot strike was going on at the time. And anybody who's been to Europe knows that like. Airport workers, pilots, baggage handlers, those people strike all the fucking time. They'll strike and they'll do it for a day and then there'll be a settlement. In fact, when I went to Norway a couple of years ago, there was a goddamn baggage handler strike. We ended up not getting our bags for two weeks after the trip. Um, oh, because and, and well, like at least the pilots, at least it wasn't while you were on the trip. So that's at no, least exactly. That. It was, but it was on the flight back, and the pilot's like, "Oh, uh, we we're going to be a little late coming out of the gate." The baggage handlers just went on strike, <laughs> and we're like, what the, "What the fuck is going on?" You know. So um, there was a Lufthansa pilot strike, and I remember being there with you know this was this was um, on you know my my a business trip and I was there with somebody else and they were like oh man I'm flying Lufthansa I'm screwed and uh, <laughs> and I remember looking at mine like hey I'm flying United I guess I'm in good shape and then I got there the next morning and my 9am flight had been delayed to 5pm because it was United operated by Lufthansa <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, well, fuck this. So I just checked my shit and I'm at the goddamn Munich airport and I got eight hours to kill. And boy, did I kill it. I just I explored every part of the fucking Munich airport that existed. And uh, and so like I, I mean, you think about this. How often do you just say I'm going to spend 20 minutes in this newsstand airport store? <laughs> you know, like I'm going to look through every magazine and I'm going to look through whatever. Well, as I was looking through all these magazines, what did I find? Batman. They had some comics there. And I was like, how cool is this shit? So I ended up buying a Batman in German. I still have it in my long boxes downstairs. And I thought that was really neat. So if we find ourselves in front of a comic shop in Paris, then I'm going to see if I can grab like some kind of comic in French. Um, I, did a, I did a Yelp search for comic stores in, in Paris but the weird thing is, the three or four best comic stores, when you look at photos on the inside, it's all American comics in English. Like, every oh. single thing. It looks like my local comic shop. That's what's so wonky about it. It's really strange. So, I'm kind of like, well, where the fuck are the French comics? <laughs> you know? Like, are they just getting their shipment from Diamond? Like, everything, everybody else? I don't even know. So, 
if I have a chance, I'm going to explore it and maybe I'll get lucky and uh, and there'll be a comic or two at the airport or something. Because, again, it's such a quick turnaround and I don't know how much free time I'm going to have. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. It'll, it'll be fun. It'll be a fun thing to happen upon as opposed to a thing that I need to plan for. Yeah, I would even check bookstores. So they might have some really cool like artist graphic novels. And I think comics in general are more... Um, Except is not the right word. It's more mainstream. Mainstream, yeah. I would say it's it's held in a higher regard there. Yeah, and, and in Europe in general, and pretty much anywhere but here. Yeah, um, exactly. And and but that's... now it's getting better, obviously, with the uh, popularity of the MCU and all of that stuff. I think that comics are becoming a little more accepted in in culture, like the wider yeah. culture. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's taken us a while to catch up with everybody else. Yes. But I also think that one of the reasons comics are a little bit more mainstreamly accepted, if that's even a right word, in other countries is because other countries tell stories far outside of the superhero realm. You know, you have like everyday life kind of stuff. You know, Japan, I believe that's the highest per capita comic reading nation uh, uh in the world and like you know ceos read comics on the way into work on the train but that's because their comics cover a lot more kind of aisles in the bookstore than traditional american comics which are basically let's just go with 80 percent superhero and call it safe you know and look we love superheroes i love superheroes many people's first love in comics involves superheroes but being in indie comics and kind of having that other filter, you would do also appreciate and you wonder what else can we do with comics um, in other realms as well. So anyway, it'll be fun. But uh, so maybe I'll come back with some sort of adventures of Tintin in, in French. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, speaking of coming up with stories, I am working on the PDFs for issue 10 and 12 of Second Shift. Now that I have all the art for those books, I am able to swap them out, put in put in the good stuff. And now I'm in the process of going through each PDF or each page to make sure they're PDF ready. So uh, I sent over all of the files to Tristan for issue 10. So he had done a few graphic design or uh, sound effects for the lettering on a few of the pages there. I think four total. Um, three, I had some minor adjustments to the things that he did, but overall they looked really good. It was just kind of a placement issue. Um, and then one of them was just good overall. I didn't need to do anything at all. So issue 10, as far as I know, is complete. So I sent him everything over. He'll put that together hopefully tonight and then uh, have that sent back over to me. I'll give it a go. I'll send it to Ed as well to double check it. And uh, if that's ready to roll, then it's ready to roll. And then hopefully I'll have issue 12 completely done by Friday and the weekend at the latest. But I'm pretty sure I'll get everything done by Friday. There was a couple of graphic design or uh, sound effects that needed some work, and I did one tonight. I showed it to my girlfriend, and she thought it looked really cool and blended in with the art. It wasn't so distracting, so I sent that over to my colorist, actually, and that's the thing I've been talking about the last few weeks, is incorporating the sound effects into the art. Um, getting some of the pages back from my colorist, some of them are freaking amazing. I'm just like, this is super badass. Um, the idea of incorporating those those graphic design elements into the art has gone to another level that I, in my opinion, 
like uh, one piece in particular. It's like, I think it's page 18. Uh, if you go to my Instagram on my Drawtober event, there is a hand breaking out of glass, uh, breaking through the glass floor, it looks like, right? And it's popping out and there's shards up in the air and you can see light showers face and stuff. Well, I wrote the word crash I used a font, I cut it up, I changed it up to make it look like it was breaking as well. And it's kind of moving in the back background behind the hand. And I was like, that looks really cool. And I made sure to tell Joaquin to color it exactly like he's coloring the glass shards. And he knocked it out of the park. It looks seamless. It looks like one piece. And um, that's just how I'm doing it from, from this day moving forward. Like it just looks so much better. Everything looks intentional. Like now when I see comics, like I'll study the the sound effects and how much it stands out against the art and uh, affects it negatively. Like some looks, it looks seamless in some pieces. And then there's other elements where I'm like, yeah, that's now it's just standing out to me. Now it just doesn't look as good. So, um, you know, whatever that is, <laughs> I don't know if that's me being a, a lettering snob or something, but um you know, just now when I'm looking at certain books, and it's not all books, you know, some, some letters, they can, you know, do it, do it to a higher level than some other letters. And uh, so I'm seeing those lower end level, uh, letters and uh, noticing the difference. So that's something that comes along with doing the lettering as much as I have been involved with these last two issues. I guess doing 10 and 12 at the same time really has me focused in because it's like, usually a letter one book, and then it's kind of like you're done with that and you move on. But it's like I did two back to back. So now my brain is just like lettering, lettering, lettering. Yeah, that that makes sense. And I don't think it's being I mean, what is snobbery? You know, like, are you being a snob? I don't know. I'm not here to discuss semantics on like that level of snobbery. What I know is that you are evolving in terms of your lettering and you're trying to get more out of your lettering. And you're finding new techniques to make your lettering even better, especially in sound effects. And in a lot of ways, this is very much like the kind of stuff that I think about on the writing level. You know, like, yeah, you'll see some lettering and it'll be good, but you might ask yourself like, oh, but you could have done more. And and that's the Kobe system. It's the Kobe, Kobe system. system. More. You could have done more. You know, you could have done more. More, more records. <laughs> um, but I think that's, you know, that's where some of the writing stuff comes in, too, where it's just like, but you could have done more. You know, like you did this and you did that. And I get why you did that. And it worked in ways. But you could have done more. You, you could have gone for you could have really gone for a brass ring there and missed opportunities. You know, opportunity is the word that comes up a lot when I do workshops um, when I get workshop myself, you know, and, and it's a nice way of putting stuff like you have an opportunity here and it's up to you whether you want to use it. So you can call it snobbery. You can call it what you want. But to me, it's just someone further along on their evolutionary path that is kind of broken through to another level. And, you know, like I, I you showed me that page. I think it looks great, you know. Um, and, and so that's that's good to see. You know, it's good to see. I'm sure you're going to wince a little bit when you look back at your own lettering and you're never going to make my own sound effects lettering look the same because I don't do sound effects lettering. Um, to get really, really granular on Kadoja, what I did, if you're really going deep cut on volume three is I wanted sound effects somewhere. So I actually mined 
volumes one and two for Rory's sound effects that he he drew in, and then I just put them back in there. So if you really, really know your Kadoja, you will notice that some of these effects are the exact same lettering because all I did was Ice Cube was jacking for beats. I, I took Rory's old exact lettering and dropped it right in and it worked. It does the job. It wasn't exactly next level, but it did the job, move on and get to the next page. Yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm also in a position that's different than other letterers because I'm also the artist. And I'm also the director, so I deal with the colorist. I deal with the writer. I deal with everyone. So it's just like my my hand is in all of these pies, and yeah. I'm using all the fingers, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so to, to, uh, yeah, to quote to quote the DOC, they said it was about knowledge, and now I feel like I got most of it all. <laughs> yeah it's a, yeah i'm just in a rare position where the letterer can't go hey here colorist here's my lettering can you color it to make it look like that right it, it, it's like that's not that's not how this works but you know for me it's like i have a direct line to everyone yeah, yeah. you're so the director like, okay that, that's, yeah. that's what it is you are the director and, uh, and that's a topic, um, it's a germ of an idea that I think we might develop into a future topic down the road because I, I've had some really cool conversations over the last week or two, but that's really what it is, right? You, you're you sitting at a vantage point where you can kind of see everything and you're controlling kind of like the gestalt of the entire book. And that gives you, that puts you in a beneficial position where you can make these sort of decisions and put things all together. Yeah. And it's just growing because... Um... You know, I was looking at what Tristan had done previously, and at the time, there was a couple I was like, ah, I'm not sure if I like that. And then taking some time away from it, coming back, so I was like, no, no, I do like it. I do like what he did there. And um, it's just like, sometimes your first reaction can not always be right. Like, like I saw some of them like, dang, that's not even close to what I was thinking about. And I took some time away from it to work on other things. And I'm like, no, that's pretty good. That actually works pretty well with that. So... Um, you know, give give stuff a shot. Like if you're looking at something, like some work comes in or something you're even working on, you know, take some time away from it and then come back to it. And you might actually like what you've done. Like I know I've done that as far as art goes. I've worked a piece and I've worked it. I've worked it to death. And I'm just like, I hate this. I, I've been working on it for so long. I don't like what I'm doing here. And I'll take some time away from it, do something else. And I'll come back and I'm like, what the hell was wrong with me? Like that looks yeah. perfectly fine. Nothing wrong with it. You're just too close to the project sometime. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I had this exact conversation with my kid last night because I was talking about writing the novel and how by being on your sixth draft, it just, it, it everything is old to you, you know? And and I'm the kind of person where, like, I think we've talked about this before, actually. I, I, I cook a few things. There are a few recipes I do that people in my family really like. I have a pretty good mac and cheese recipe that gets requested around the holidays, and my my the way I equated it to my kid was, you know, people see it as my mac and cheese. But what when, you know, people taste it and they say, this is Keith's mac and cheese. It's good. When I taste it, I say, man, I think I ended up using three and seven eighths cups worth of shredded, like sharp cheddar. And I probably should use three and three quarters. 
You know, like that's how it is. It's it's just a recipe to me. And and this is the kind of thing you do when you go way in the deep end of your own stuff and you're getting so granular in your own work and you're like, is it is it 0.57 tablespoons of salt or 0.59 tablespoons of salt? Nobody else may even know the fucking difference, but I know the fucking difference because I just see it as a recipe and it loses that outward facing thing of being an entire dish that gets presented to other people, you know? So I think that's natural. I think some of that is just being a creator and wanting to be a perfectionist. In my case, it's the inner Victor Vaughn. And uh, and in some cases, it's just the familiarity that happens when you go over your work and over your work because you just want it to be as good as possible. We do multiple passes of everything. So it's pretty natural that by the time you get to that final pass, you're, you're a little numb to your own shit, you know? You know what? Uh, that's so interesting because I was I was listening to an interview today by a, a creator. He's he's somewhat well known. Uh, I won't say who he is, uh, but the interview was insane. He's a crazy person, and I was like, wow, this guy is all over the place. I was like, but his art's really good. And then you like you put he's not as in my opinion he's not as good as like let's say Jim Lee, who's very calculated. Like the way he thinks about art is just like okay, there's symmetry here. You got to make sure you got to, there's constant checks and balances. You got to cross reference. Okay. Is this is, you know, you got to look at this arm. Uh, how is it in, in accordance to this? Right. And then you hear this other creator and they're just like, whatever, man, you just got to do this and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, there's no way this dude does any, anything similar to the way Jim Lee does things. Right. And then it sounds like the way you cook food is so different than the way I cook food because like if there's something that I've made and initially if I if I've never made it before I'll do it that way I'm like okay how much of this do I need and then so I'll measure everything precisely because I want it exactly as the recipe says and so if it sucks it's because the recipe sucks because I did it exactly the way the recipe said and once I get that down a couple of times then it becomes a little more free form then it's just like all right I'm gonna throw some of my style in here it's not so much about the constant check and ba- checks and balances, which you need to do. Like, mm-hmm. but you've done that so ma- so often that the checks and balances is just like it's second nature. It's like you've already done it. You've already done the homework in your brain. It's like it's like you're when you learn a new job, like you have to do it over and over again until it just becomes second hand to you. It's just mm-hmm. it's it's just so easy to do, and um, or second nature, not second hand. And um, so I, I it's interesting because that. You can look at art the same way as you can look at food or anything else. It's like, all right, it, to certain people, it's a recipe until it isn't, you know, yeah. and then you're just doing you're going off of instinct. Or if you're just like one of those guys, you just have that raw talent where you're just naturally doing it. And you're like, oh, you did the checks and balances. Like, what? What are you talking about? Oh, they don't do that because they're they're kind of born with it. And, uh, you know, that can only get you so far, obviously. you got to learn all these other tricks. But some people just know how to do things naturally that others don't. Yeah. So at, at a point, you kind of just start doing it. And um, I think I'm kind of there with the lettering. Because yeah. it, initially, it's the checks and balances. And now I'm turning the lettering part into creative energy and incorporating that with the art. And it's all becoming one. That totally makes sense. And it also in a way equates to something I think we just talked about, which is this idea of having confidence get built by doing stuff and putting it out there and then having people positively respond to it. You know, when I think about my novel, I think about it in the way that I think about the mac and cheese, 
because the novel, I have not published a single novel. So I don't have that learning by doing, learning by feedback confidence. I have it through workshop. People have workshopped me favorably. My mentors workshopped me favorably, but I still haven't been published yet. And that's the difference. On the comic side of it, because I've been published for, you know, eight, nine years, whatever it is, a little bit self-published, and then, you know, through comic companies with checks and balances, the confidence is much higher over there, you know? So to your point, you've built all that confidence, so it's second nature, you know? So you're to the point where you're just like, I know this recipe. To me, because I'm on the first side of it and I haven't quite been published yet, I'm like, is this recipe right? Yada, 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 let's obsess over it, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, you know, it's 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 all part of the process, but at some level too, there's this level of just, you're com- I mean, look, I'm confident enough, enough to keep working on this novel and I know there's something there. It's just a matter of knowing when it's cooked right in this case. And for you creators out there, it's up to you to know where you're also at. Like, mm-hmm. don't be... Don't be self-delusional. <laughs> like, yeah. like number one. Like that's that's one thing that I always worry about when I'm looking at my own art. Because there's there's they say there okay, so so what I hear a lot is if there's someone out there and they're so confident about their work, they more than likely suck. They think their work is the shit. And more than likely they're the shits. Because they they that's just kind of how it goes. You have these amazing artists but they always go i'm you know like it, it's i'm only okay keith's dying <laughs> i'm the, <laughs> i'm the shits it's <laughs> fantastic anyway yeah the 11 percent is clearly here ladies and gentlemen so <laughs> i mean it's, is, it really arrived it just it showed up and it started honking outside it's like keith i'm here bitch 11 percent all right so, yeah yeah did it yeah. knock at the door like a gentleman yeah yeah just, shit's uh, real funny right now <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so that's something i'm always worried about like if i'm too pleased with the piece i think of that saying is you know, it's just like if you're too confident in your abilities, you're probably not very good. But and then like seeing those, you know, world famous artists that have that self-doubt, it like makes me sick. It's like you're one of the best in the world to do this and you think you're not very good. And that's very upsetting because then I'll do some pieces. I'm like, this isn't too bad. I don't mind this piece. It looks pretty good, I think. And and, and that amount of confidence, it makes me go, well, is it good? Like, you know, it worries me because because hearing that. So anyway, it, not to give any of you guys a complex, which I've clearly given myself, but you also want to be self-objective. You know, you want to look at your work. You have to dissect it. And when you're in the process of learning, figuring this all out, you have to do the checks and balances. We're at the part like where Keith's at with the novels. We're learning how to, to do this recipe. And, and just because you've read comics your whole life, don't think that you know everything about comics. It's like something that you need to do is something about uh, drawing figures. You have to constantly look, well, how big is this forearm compared to the other forearm? How big is the forearm compared to the head? You know, it, it's all of those things. Constant checks and balances are what will keep you um, grounded enough uh, with your own art to go, am I doing this right? You know, if you have a really weird abstract style, then maybe, I don't know if, how how well that pertains to that. But, um, you know, if you're doing kind of like a standard, um, you know, commercial style, then that's something you want to think about when you're working. So there's a lot of really interesting shit there. And I'm, I'm going to probably meander because of the booze. 
<laughs> this is where the feedback of people that have no tie to you is super important, you know, because you need that because that's what's going to keep you going. You know, what did I just say five minutes ago? I said, this has been workshopped for years. You know, people like this and it's part of that. You know, you you can have this confidence, but it's really great to have this objective evidence where you're sitting there going, not only do I have this confidence, but it's right for me to have this confidence. Because this person who didn't fucking know me from Adam when I first started this says it's good. And this person says it's good and they have no reason to blow sunshine up my ass. You know, if if the kind of people that say it's good are friends, family, that kind of stuff, you got to expand your circle. You got to put it out there and you got to figure out a way <clears throat> to get that forum where you're going to get that good feedback. And and in a way, this this ties into the fact that you need to make sure you're soliciting feedback right enough. You know, like this is just a personal preference, but something that in something that that is encouraged in in novel workshops is like if you have a question about something to ask your audience that question. If you say to yourself, I'm not sure what purpose the railroad crossing serves in this scene. There's two ways to go about that. You can ask the people, what purpose do you think the railroad crossing serves in this scene? Or you can completely not do it and then just see what they say. I'm of the second opinion. You know, like I generally kind of don't like putting it out there to people because I'd rather shut my mouth about it and see if you don't like it. In fact, I just had a workshop come up a week or two ago where I had a concern about something and instead of broadcasting it to the people that were about to read it and tainting perhaps their opinion and getting them to focus on it, I just laid off. I had my concerns, but I wanted to see what they said. And of the couple people, like most of them came back and didn't have a comment. And then one of them fucking dialed right into it. And, uh, and then there was the part in the workshop where I got to talk and I said, person X you saw through to my cold, scared soul on this one because this was my big concern. And then we ended up talking about it. And that was good, though, because I didn't I didn't kind of grease the wheel with it. I just found out what people thought and then checked my assumption there, you know. So I think seeking feedback, there's a certain way to do it, too. And I think what we, what I see a little bit too much, maybe on the indie comic side, on the solicitation side, is people where, you know, like people will come up to Scott and Mai's table. It's not unusual for somebody to come up and say, hey, you want to look at my portfolio? I mean, if no one's at my booth, sure. You know, like I'll take a quick look, you know, just know that if somebody walks up and wants to talk about Kadoja, I'm, I'm probably going to talk to them and, and interrupt you. But I'll look at it and and you can tell the ones that just want to hear a yes. So don't be that person. Be the person that wants to hear the honest thing instead of being the person that wants to hear, yes, this is great, you know, because the honest feedback, the, the constructive feedback is the stuff that's going to build you and that's going to help you go to a next level. And there are so many levels to achieve. And and we can tell um, if you're looking for the yes, we can totally tell you have this look in your eye. Where And you're like almost nodding to us that you like this, right? You like this. Like, it's just, it's a vibe you get um, when you come across it enough. Like, you know, if this, it's your first rodeo and, and you've never had someone ask you to look at their, portfo your, their portfolio, um, you might not see it. 
but I've done, I've had this happen to me enough to where I can go, you just want approval. You don't want an honest criticism of what your work looks like. And you're going to be upset when you leave the table. And I'm not, I'm not a person that only shits in your Cheerios. Like I, mm -hmm. that's like not what is going to happen. I'm going to tell you what you're going to be doing. I'm going to tell you what you're doing good first. Yeah. So you, so you don't feel like you're wasting your time. You're wasting your life. And then I'm going to tell you what you need to work on. And I can see it in a lot of people's eyes that they feel crushed when I tell them that they have things they need to work on. And it's just like, I don't know what you're, I don't know what you're looking for. If you thought you were, and I think these are the people that I'm talking about originally was, you think your shit don't stink. And, and you got to know that maybe you didn't wipe just enough. Like something stinks and you're going to need to work on it. You need to clean it up. So yeah. um, when you leave my table, more than likely, you're going to have something that you need to work on. But if you're, I mean, look, if your shit's legit, I'm going to tell you it's legit. And, uh, you know, there's minor things maybe, um, or I might tell you you're good to go. But, you know, when you come over and you're asking for a critique by anyone, you run the risk of telling uh, them telling you that there's stuff that you need to work on. You need to accept yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And there was something else you said a, a little bit ago people who who are well versed in it like you've read a lot or you've you've soaked in a lot of culture there's a difference between reading a lot and being well versed in the the stuff you're doing and then kind of transcending the rubicon and getting to the point where you're making it on your own just understand that there's that thing of like absorbing a ton of pop culture and and putting it in is a little different than kind of going that that next level. And we've talked about this in many times in many ways, synthesizing it, not lifting it, not doing whatever, and then turning it into your own stuff. So I know this conversation is probably meandered and I'm not sure there's a central theme. Um, so. I don't know. I think we're in a good flow, man. I'm not sweating yeah. any of this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about? Shit, man. I had something, but I've also, I drank the 8.5%. So when you were going, I was like, yeah, man, that, yeah, what you just said. And then I lost it. <laughs> how, we're like, how in the fuck did we get here? <laughs> and, and, uh, I'm looking at the timestamp and like, we have been going on for a while. So this is one of those episodes that when we listen back, it's going to either be the greatest episode ever. Or it's just going to be a complete piece of shit. <laughs> <You know? laughs> <laughs> but, oh man! But it, but boy, was it fun to record. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, no. this is one of those cases where we had a topic that we had had planned, but honestly, we've gone on for so long that let's just keep this the way it is and save it for next week. Yeah, I, I think we, honestly, we covered a, a completely different topic than what we were thinking of. It's like, uh, who knows? It was just a stream of consciousness that flowed into what we were. And what we are as people, because we're <laughs> fated. Yes, <clears throat> yes, yes. Um, well, I mean, we look again. We're at the we're at least at the fifty minute mark, depending on how the editing goes. Dude, I know I have something. Like there was something you were saying, and I was like, I totally have something else with that, and I fucking forgot it. Yeah, well, Chris Dreyer was such a pro because we would say shit and then like he would be in his, he, you, you'd see him kind of having his head down. It turns out he was scribbling down shit and then he would just acknowledge the stuff that we had said like eight minutes before. It was like, rock on, man. I admire you. <laughs> Scott and I don't fucking do that. We just hope the memory sticks. 
Yeah, but he was also drinking a, a decaf coffee. Yeah. And we're drinking beer, so. We are. We are. And again, to, mine, is, mine is 11%. To remembering. And I ate yeah. a light dinner. And I ate a light dinner. Have you bought anything or has it uh, has it simmered down a little bit? You know, the thing I'm focusing on right now is the IDW TMNT hardcovers. Um, because someone told me, and I can't remember who, that they might lose their TMNT license, which would be a complete shame because, honestly, they've done the most with that license ever since, uh, you know, Eastman and Laird had it. You yeah. know, I, I don't So So, honestly... It would be a shame if they got rid of it. Honestly, they have more history with TMNT now that I feel that Dark Horse had with Star Wars. Yeah, there's your Star there's your Star Wars reference. Yeah, so, we like, did it. We did it. We came down to the wire. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I have the first seven volumes. There's, I believe, there's fourteen volumes, thirteen or fourteen volumes total, and I have the first seven, and I have eleven and thirteen. So I'm missing eight through ten. So I need those volumes. Um, I think one of them came in. I think I bought one of them. Uh, any of you listeners out there have extra volumes? Uh, P.O. Box 881-551, San Diego, California, <laughs> 92168. Attention, Scott Lost. Make it happen. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, should, so we that's... Just title this, should we just title this the drunk episode? Because <laughs> that yes. would be fucking amazing. Uh, <laughs> anyway, anyway. Uh, yeah, okay, so, that's, so you that's have what one I'm through seven, and on. you're you're trying to hunt down more, is what you're saying. Yeah, eight through ten. I need eight through ten and twelve. But but wasn't this 12, the yeah. one? Like this is the same one that you've been picking at for a while. You probably just hit the accelerator. I remember being in book off with you like a year ago, and you picked up I don't know volume three, volume four, and you're like, dude, this is a pretty mint. You know, like look, book off stuff can get beat to shit. And it was yeah. a pretty nice condition one. So I remember you getting one of them back then. Well, yeah, I actually went to, I got you some Sandman issues at Book Off recently. Yes, sir. And while I was there, I grabbed volume 13, mm-hmm. which is a very minty copy. Mm. And so I have a sneaking suspicion that IDW is a San Diego-based company. And I have a sneaking <laughs> suspicion that some of them may not need these volumes. And they're bringing them to Book Off and selling them and uh, getting some cash. Yes. So, yeah, yes. they're just way too clean for yeah. for it to be someone's book that they bought and then turned around and sold to book off sure. for a fraction I mean, of the price. Look, that goes to my record collector brain. LA is is one of the best cities in the country to dig for records in. Why? Because all the labels are here. And all the labels, mm. all the people who worked at labels got promo copies of every fucking record out there. So, Odds are, if you look hard enough and you're patient enough, you're going to find almost every goddamn record ever made on from a label based out of Los Angeles. So, yeah, man, that makes a lot of sense for IDW. And it would bode well for our friends in New York, <laughs> for the Marvel and DC people who are probably getting comp copies of shit that they don't even care about. Oh, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, how about you? Have you so, been getting anything? Yeah, I mean. Oh, I, no, I, you know what? No, 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 no. Okay. I know what we're going to talk about right now. Let's do it. We're going to talk about the Infinity Gauntlet debacle. Do we really have to? I think that I, yeah, I think this is a great story for the audience. They're going to want to hear it. This is so. I'm I'm going to give you guys a quick uh, recap of what was going on here. So um, Keith was trying to get the 
Infinity Gauntlet number one off of uh, what eBay? Yes. And so, so unfortunately, George Perez is uh, uh, going through cancer, and it is uh, not looking great. But he is doing a CGC signing, and I uh, smartened Keith up to this. And I had some first appearance of Nightwing and Infinity Gauntlet number one that I was going to submit to CGC. And yeah. Keith was like, "Well, I think I'm going to get this eBay copy of number one and send it in." Unfortunately, there was some delays. I'm thinking that this seller just took his sweet ass time to send the book in, and you know that kind of was the quote unquote delay. I was lazy and forgot. I got your money and didn't send it right away. Go ahead, Keith, take it away. Well, I'm gonna blame the USPS a little bit because I think he did drop it. He or she drop it. Did drop it in pretty quick. And there was a time. So the original arrival date was supposed to be January 28th. That was going to give me just enough time to get it, overnight it, and have it there in time. January 25th, I get the notification like, hey, it's going to get delivered tonight. But then I looked into the details and it was in Los Angeles. Then a little bit later that day, it says delayed. It just says delayed. The 26th comes, the 27th comes, and the 28th comes, which was the Friday, I believe. Still nothing. So that's when I told Scott, I texted him like, hey, I'm not getting this fucking Infinity Gauntlet on time. Like, I'm just going to miss this George Perez signing. He's like, well, don't lose hope. Maybe there's a way you can get it. And I was like, you know what? I was thinking about this. Maybe SoCal Comics has it. So, and I did mention this, I think, on last week's podcast. I call them up. I say, hey, you got an Infinity Gauntlet one? They had two. They had one that was a near mint and one that was like a very fine. I said, give me the near mint. So I get the near mint. I do all this work, like an hour worth of work, creating and i'm like okay cool i create the cgc order i i like do this whole thing about like you have to cut out a window and you have to you know give them like indications on where they can sign i did all of it i i printed out a mock-up of the cover just so i can have an accurate representation of where i could tell it to sign i go to socal comics the next day saturday i get the book i'm with ed and Ed says, you know, like we, we were you were going to be a little late. And, and Ed was like, let's just go to the post office. Let's get it out of the way now. I go there. I get it out of the way. I pay a good amount of money, my friend, to, to ship that shit today to get it there two two days to the number two um, so that it can get there from a Saturday to a Monday just by the 31st. Drop it in under the wire. I feel wonderful. We have a nice day. Get some beers, get some burritos, get some beers, do, do all that pod. burritos, record a pod. Life is good, right? I come back on the Monday and I'm I'm tracking now. I, I just check my tracking and I see that it was delivered and I'm like, okay, it was delivered. But it's weird that I didn't get that CGC confirmation later in the day. And that's when it fucking hits me. I forgot to do one thing. I forgot to write George Perez's initials on the fucking box. So that means that that book got received and that it is sitting on a goddamn pile right now as we speak with a two, three-week lead time, queue time. I call CGC the next day. I say, is there anything you can do? And they're like, nope. You know, it's sitting on a pile. We're opening packages from today. So we're recording this. Let's just be transparent. We're recording this on February 2nd, okay? They say we're opening packages from January 10th. So that means I'm going to have to wait three weeks for this fucking thing to get opened. And I just have to pray to the fates that the George Perez signing does not happen by then. And they said, look, if we get to it and we open it by then and we can fit it in, we will. But if not, then we're going to open it and we're just going to ask if you want it to get graded or not. So 
I text all this to Scott yesterday and I say, hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. And and then you respond something like, oh, f-. I think you put, oh, fucking fuck is what your text response was. Yep. 100%. And I was like, hey, what can I do? Like, I fucked up. You know, maybe the maybe this episode title is Keith's Egregious Fuck Up, um, because <laughs> God damn it. I did. I, I worked so hard and I got nine out of the 10 things right. And then I forgot to put the fucking initials on the box because I was in such a frenzy to make all this stuff happen and forgot that final step. I don't think there's a lesson here. There's some. But, but when <laughs> but when Scott said, like, that sucks for you, my my answer then is my answer now. Which is, if the universe means it to be, then it's meant to be, you know, because the, the, the fates were fighting me on this one, man. And maybe that just means I'm not supposed to have this thing. Um, and if, if the signing happens three, four weeks out from now, well, then I got a fighting chance. If not, well, then I guess I'll either get my money back. I haven't even decided what I want. You know what I mean? Because the guy was like, well... If the signing happens and then we get to it, I will ask you if you want your money back or if you just want to get it graded anyway. I don't know, man. Maybe I'll just grade it and sell it and be done with it. But, but, since it's February 2nd and since this thing was supposed to be there January 28th, right? Guess what I got in the mail yesterday? I got this, bitch. (laughs) I got the thing I bought on eBay on January 15th. There it is. So now I have two copies of Infinity Gauntlet 1, neither of which will likely get signed by George Perez. You know, this 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 brings back a thing uh, from The Simpsons where I think Bart does something and then Marge asks Homer to give him an inspirational speech. And then Homer kneels down and pats Bart on the shoulder and he said, son, you tried and you failed. The lesson is, don't try. <laughs> So, you know, you know, when uh, um, I sent you over the thing with the George Perez signing, I we get no I get notifications by CGC via mail. And uh, I was like, oh, shit, George Perez is uh, doing a signature signing. I, I Nightwing is one of my favorite heroes, if not my favorite hero. And I needed him to sign those books. So I have three copies of it. Two of them are pretty good. One's really bad. I was debating on getting all three signed, but I ended up doing two. And uh, Infinity Gauntlet number one. I sent this to Keith, and I, I think you even talked about it a couple weeks back. You said, if I do this, I'm just going to get this book. It was like Teen Titans 2 or something. Teen Titans 2, yeah. That has no monetary value to it whatsoever, but there's an emotional connection. Now, I wonder if the fates just listened to our podcast. And they said, no, no, no. You said you're going to get that signed only. So this Infinity Gauntlet is not happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's not it's not your destiny, Keith. You should have yeah. gotten Teen Titans 2 signed, even though that right. book is worth, last I checked, $2. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and putting George Perez's signature on it would make it worth $2 plus the cost of George Perez's signature, you know. Right. Um, so it's, again, it's, it's really not that big a deal, you know, in the, it's just more of like all this work, you know, whenever I fuck up like this, you know what I think of? I think of the song. It was originally written by the Kinks, but, uh, but Faith No More covered it. Have you ever heard the song? I started the, I started a joke. Yes. Ah, I started a joke, uh, which started the whole world crying, uh, mm-hmm. Over time, I could see that the joke was on me, you know, so what can you do, man? I tried 
and uh, and I'll try again. Unlike the advice of Homer Simpson, what can you do, man? So and and yeah. you know what? There's still a little bit of a you know a, a, a dumb and dumber. So you're saying there's a chance, <laughs> you know, type of thing here. So maybe the fates will will design it, and maybe they won't. But uh, I'll figure out a way to kind of shine through this no matter what and uh, and see what happens. And then, you know, on a related note, Scott just sent me a thing today like, hey, there's a Chris Claremont signing. And uh, and I was like, I saw that. <laughs> Can he sign my Infinity Gauntlet number one? <laughs> you know, but, but anyway, uh, I don't know. I, I got to think about the Claremont thing because in fairness too, like New Teen Titans 2 has an emotional connection to me. I loved Infinity Gauntlet when it came out. In fact, mm-hmm. I remember reading Silver Surfer back in the day when Infinity Gauntlet first got introduced. I forgot. I had forgotten that Infinity Gauntlet first got introduced. All I remembered was, hey, there was this cool Silver Surfer arc way back in the day. Yeah, it turns out it was the goddamn Infinity Gauntlet getting introduced. Um, but it wasn't It wasn't like a top 10 arc. You know what I mean? Like, if this was the kind of thing where CGC announced that Neil Gaiman was signing Sandman and I fucked it up, uh, you know, dude, this wouldn't have been an 11% beer. This would have been just gasoline. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, it, w- it was a book that means something to me but doesn't have this huge emotional register for me. So, anyway, again, if it's meant to be, que sera, sera, man. What are you going to do? Yeah. So, in the meantime... I got these two nice copies of Infinity Gauntlet one number one. And hey, maybe someday Marvel will turn that into a movie. Yeah, maybe one day. Maybe it would make a really cool that. movie. You know, like not just one movie either. You could do a whole bunch of interconnected movies and kind of build around the gauntlet. I don't know. I don't think Hollywood understand. They probably um, wouldn't. You, yeah, they, they wouldn't yeah. get it. It's too too long form. Right. You know, every time I fuck up like that, um, I call it a dummy tax. And I just, I kind of laugh and I go, yeah. oh. I just paid a dummy tax. Yep. yep. <laughs> so, I, my my exact, we, we have a family term for that, coined by me, same thing, stupid tax. Same damn difference, right? It's a stupid yep. tax, you know? So uh, so what, what are you going to do, man? Um, so with that, with that, on that wonderful note, where can people find you on social media? You can find me at Scott Lost on Twitter and Instagram and facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yeah, for me, you can find me at Keith underscore Invader and um, on Instagram and also at Kadoja Kaiju. You know, something random about this, Scott, is that what I find myself, and maybe we can have a conversation on this on or, or off the air about it, I find myself relating more to the idea of Keith Invader because I write multiple books now and Kadoja Kaiju sort of fading into the distance. And I had this crazy idea earlier today that I want to make sure that people who follow me at Kadoj Kaiju are following me on Keith and Vader. And then I might just start to kind of sunset the idea of at Kadoj Kaiju. You know, um, I might keep it around. I might not. But when you really think about it, it makes way more sense for everything to just be Keith and Vader since I write multiple books and Kadoja is one of them instead of maintaining two Instagram handles. Um, does that make sense to you? It totally makes sense. And that's that's one of the reasons why. I've never even attempted to do a making comics Instagram or, or Twitter or Facebook. It's like, look, it's more handles for everyone else to follow. Um, I know, for instance, there are podcasts that or uh, YouTube channels where 
they're like, hey, this is our channel and you should follow it. And that's why I follow it. But then I also follow them individually. And I'm like, it's the same content. You're giving me double yeah. content of the same thing. And I'm like, this isn't needed. I don't need to follow this combined channel when I follow both of you guys individually. And you guys will post things on your own that you're not going to necessarily point, uh, pose in the, or excuse me, post in the joint one. Yeah. So it's like, if you and I both created a making comics, we wouldn't post every single thing that we posted on an individual one. And so it's like, people are getting more out of our individual feeds than they would a combined feed. And that's kind of like a shell, you know, it's, it's yeah. like, it's not as good as our individual. So, um, why not just go under that one banner and same with second shift. I, I never attempted to make a second shift one. It's like, well, if you're fans of second shift, well, it's just like, no, no, I, I do the second shift, but I also do these books. Yeah. If you only follow my second shift one, how will you ever discover wanderers? You know, yeah. like, so it's like, I exactly. want people to, uh, you know, follow me and only me. And then that way you'll get everything that I do. And you know what? You're the little bit of reinforcement I needed to make that a reality. Because again, it made too much sense when I thought about it and you reinforcing it makes it even better. So what I'm yeah, trying to say Keith... is if you're, if you're going to follow one, you should go for at Keith underscore invader now, because at some point that's going to be my only one. And I'm just going to sunset at Kadoja Kaiju. Yeah, it's um, you are your brand. You know what yeah, I mean? And totally. this is something we talked about well, who knows how many episodes ago is creating a brand. Your brand isn't Kadoja, your brand is you because you're going to be doing multiple books. I do multiple books. I I have my hands in many a pie. So um, you know, yeah, why not? I'm all I'm all grown up now. So, <laughs> uh, what about websites, uh, man? Uh, websites you can find my books at accidentalaliens.com, Second Shift: The Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night, and Wanders of Milisanda: Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans. You can find those at accidentalaliens.com. It never fucking works. It never oh, works. I missed my cue. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. So for me, uh, keithrfoster.com. There is stuff on Kadoja, there is stuff on Three Protectors, and I actually plan on firing up the blog posts and the horror reviews. You know, this is one of those dumb things of, I have a complimentary pass for StokerCon in May in Colorado, and I want to go, but the way that my brain works is like, I'm not going to go if I don't have something that I can at least talk to talk about. And the thing I want to talk about is, like, I do reviews on iHorror.com. Even if that's as the comic book person, at least it's like, something that I'm doing instead of just like I'm an aspiring novelist too. So um so anyway, I'm I'm looking to fire all that stuff um up and uh we'll see we'll see if I'm over planning this this 10 hours I'm going to be on a plane cuz apparently I'm loading myself up with like 38 hours of work for a 10-hour flight, but uh maybe I'll fire up some of that and start writing those things too. So anyway, keithrfoster.com, there's a web store, there's Kadoja, there's three protectors and there's blog posts and there will be more coming soon. I am, I feel so bad for you. 22 hours on a plane. I would go insane. Um, I, I mean, like when I did the five hours just to Hawaii, I was going stir crazy. I was like walking up and down the aisles. But, um, you know, hopefully it's not as bad for you. You do this way more often than I do, the planes. Yeah. So I'm sure it'll be a little more tolerable. But um, you can also uh, leave comments about Keith's trip to France at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. If you say ooh la la or do you want to eat my baguette, you can send it over there to makingcomicspodcast.com. Or if you have any questions, comments, concerns about what we talked about, you want to know a little bit more about how many baguettes 
Keith ate while he was in France. Send it there. Making comics podcast at gmail. Fucking nice and smooth. Just give me the ooh la la ah wee wee. <laughs> right? That would be dope as hell. What else you can do? If you're like, let's just say you send your 17th email asking me about how many baguettes I ate and you and you were like pleased. You're like, yeah, that 17th email was really the one that set it off. Head over to Apple Podcasts and like give us a five-star review and, um, and, and get that going, right? Like we, again, five-star reviews are lovely. Comments behind them are even more lovely. And again, we, we say it all the time. When I look at the stats and when I share them with Scott and we're like, oh, wow, look how many more listeners we got this week. It, it's amazing how often it ties to just one review, just one. So um, again, if you've left one, we appreciate it. Again, those words we read, you know, there's this line that someone said one time where it says, uh, I could live for a week on a compliment, you know, and, uh, and we feel that way too. You know, when we get a new compliment, a new great review, we share it with each other and we're really happy. And so when we see those reviews and we know we're out, you know, there's people out there uh, making comics, you know, kind of cranking out their own comics and they're listening to us as we do it, man, it's a great feeling. So, um, yeah, man, if you can do that, then that's only going to help spread the love and help us, uh, help us talk, you know, and, and have, have the dialogue with even more comic creators just like you. Oh, and you know what? Ed sent this over to me. Just head to the podcast main page on Spotify. Tap the star icon and choose how many stars you want to rate it. There's currently no option to type a full written review with Spotify opting exclusively exclusively for a five-star system. So now we know how to do it. So if you listen to Spotify, if you listen to our podcast on Spotify, head to head to the podcast main page on Spotify, tap the star icon, and choose how many stars you want to rate us. And hopefully that's five. Um, unfortunately, you can't write anything else, but uh, we'll take the five. We'll take the five stars. Yeah, get the fuck out of here. We finally did it. Huh? <laughs> you did it, Ed. Finally did it. You did it. Through the ring in Mount Doom again. I'm really excited. So uh, world's so, okay. best cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah. That is that is awesome. Um, hey man, that's it. I, I've I've almost certainly queued up the music by now. Like we're we're at the end of it now. I'm probably even turning up the volume. So you know the deal, man. I'll see you next week. Until then. Yay yay. We're in.